Hello ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for INC Radio. Described by Joe Solis as one of the best MMA shows on the planet, although based on his recent judgments, we don't know how much value that is. My name is yes. Carl Damage and I am joined as ever by Mr Uncle Joey himself, Clay. Clay, thank you very much for joining me. Good to be back, I'm glad to always be here and talk to you. It's Certainly always a nice so. chat. And that's what this is basically, it's just a casual chat, we're going to be discussing many of the big stories which have been happening in the world of MMA over the past, well in this case it would be two or three weeks. We have taken a little bit of a break there, we've had our own personal reasons for doing so. I'm actually in the middle of a house move. So right now I've got half my furniture around my new place, some of my old furniture background. It's it's very messy but it serves a purpose. I'm going to be hopefully getting a brand new studio purpose built to be recording these podcasts which hopefully will make things much more enjoyable for you, the listener. There you go, that'll be pretty sick. Anything on your end, Claire? Uh, right now I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do next. I want to see, I have a video slated up, like I got it pretty much halfway done, but I'm just debating on if I want to finish it and release it, or if I just want to start something new. So I don't really know, I'm sort of at a crossroads. <laughs> do you have a bit of a bit of a teaser for what it could entail? Well, I do have a little bit of Fatherhood Cerrone done, but I don't know if it would be the best option to release that now, you know? I sometimes find that when it comes to videos is, ideally I want to try and time things around certain fights which are coming up. Um, because one of the things I sort of especially started doing around last year was I would see what was happening on an upcoming pay-per-view and try and do mm -hmm. a video which has some sort of link to that. So. The main reason I did the Nico Montano retrospective was because that was going to be the title fight between Shevchenko and Jessica Rai. So I thought, hey, let's talk about the first women's flyweight champion. Mm -hmm. All right. Keep that in mind. Maybe I'll do something related to Romero versus Adesanya or something like that. You know, that'll be pretty interesting. Well, I think a big thing that could link into that is possibly this sort of trend of fighters almost falling upwards that we're getting fighters mm -hmm. who can go on two or three fight losing streaks and they're getting title shots for it mm -hmm. that'll be interesting to you know delve deep into a video about and on that subject actually we're going to be obviously before we get onto UFC 247 we're going to be talking about uh, some of the big discussion topics which have been developing in MMA over the course of the last couple of weeks and on that subject of fighters getting arguably undeserved title shots. There were a lot of rumours which were stemming over the past couple of weeks that the featherweight division might see its next title fight and it's one we saw a couple of months ago. Max Holloway, Alex Volkanovsky, a rematch. A rematch. Now you see, I think with the featherweights what you should do is maybe set up something sort of like a you need another title eliminator fight. I think maybe you could set up... I mean, look at the rankings. <clears throat> Let me look at the rankings here. I believe I Max is now number one. And I think it's... I think after that, I think Ortega's still number two. And then I think it's it's Zombie, Zabit, and then Yair, I think, is... I think he's moved to five since Frankie got taken out. See, I was wondering why I couldn't find the rankings on the website. UFC, they have featherweight and lightweight rankings, both lightweight rankings. I, I don't get that. 
but <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe you could set up Ortega versus Zabit. I think that'll be a great fight. Story goes uh, that's what they're going to do for two forty nine. Yeah, I think I heard that too actually. But I also see Cater versus uh, Stevens. That's coming up too, I believe. That's going to be. A I think that'll fight. be a great fight, definitely. Because I mean, but yeah, then Jeremy what do you do Stevens, with um, Jeremy Stevens? Might ahead. be a bit limited as a fighter, but the guy is so mm -hmm. game. He is the quintessential gatekeeper, in my opinion. You beat Jeremy Stevens. Mm -hmm. You're worthy of being taken seriously, in my opinion. But then the question is, what do you do with uh, Korean Zombie? Do you set him up with a fight with Holloway? Well, personally, that I would have get, personally, I'm I'm quite high on the Korean Zombie. I've been a big fan of him for a long time. Personally, I think with the way he performed against Moicano, and especially the way he dismantled Frankie. Now I know Frankie took that fight on short notice, but I mean to dissect somebody who was as tough as Frankie Edgar in the first round, probably did it even more dominantly than what Ortega did, I think, for me, that was enough to earn him the title shot. And I just think that running the Max fight back, I mean, Max Holloway is a fantastic fighter and was a great champion. But I think the fight with Volkanovski was fairly one-sided. There wasn't any argument to say that Max would win if they ever ran that fight back again. And I just feel yeah, like I... with the featherweight division being as stacked as it is, mm -hmm. not only have you got Zombie, but you also got Zabit, Yair Rodriguez. You've got some top guys in there, and those guys aren't going to get themselves a chance to challenge for a belt because they're choosing to run this fight back. Yeah, I think if you set up Yair Rodriguez versus uh, Korean Zombie... Again, I think maybe that would be a good fight to make, but I think Zabit versus Ortega, I think that'll be a great, you know, sort of um, insight to where we got to go in setting up the next <clears throat> the next title shot. Do you think that? Do you think? do you think that maybe part of the reason why they're giving Max a second fight is I feel like the UFC sort of like are trying to go out their way recently to make their champions seem bigger and better than what they are because there has mm -hmm. been this big push recently to try and sell Max Holloway as the greatest featherweight of all time I personally still think it's all dope and I think that by giving Max another shot at the title they're almost sort of artificially putting him into that position and saying mm -hmm. this guy was so good he deserves a chance to get his belt back I see what you mean there but I don't see how you could dive right into a rematch right away. I feel like maybe Holloway should get maybe just one more fight underneath the belt. But I'm not Dana White. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the matchmaker. I personally would have gone Volkanovski versus uh, the Zombie, uh, Zabit mm -hmm. versus Ortega, and Max versus Yair. You got it set up right there. Answer my question for me. Well, there you go, McMahonid. I'm coming after your job. What McMahonid has done, though, is he has set up the one of our upcoming fight nights. It's going to be taking place in Portland, Oregon. Now, if you do remember our last show, we discussed in a bit of we discussed a little bit about what we thought was going to be next for Walt Harris once he came back. He was supposed to fight on the Washington main event up against Alistair Overeem. Unfortunately, there was the tragedy surrounding his uh, daughter-in-law had to pull out of that card, and Jazzini Royce and Strike stepped in on short notice. 
that fight will be taking place again at Portland. That's going to be the main event, Overeem versus Walt Harris. And I think for most casual fans, they're all going to be rooting for Walt in that one. Mm-hmm. I definitely could see that. I think in that fight, I think I might be cheering a little bit more for Overeem just because, you know, he's an OG, he's a legend. I want to see him back in that wooden column. I want to see economic Overeem make a comeback. I thought when he came back after his suspension and he got his own title shot, I thought that was the best run that Overeem's had. So we'll just have to see. And you think as well, Overeem's run where he... He fought for a title. I actually thought he was going to beat Stipe going into that fight. I just felt all the form, all the momentum was on his side. And remember, he dropped Stipe in that first round. Oh, yeah. If he, he follows up with ground and pound instead of the guillotine, over him could have well been champion. I remember when uh, Stipe was fighting in Ganu, a lot of analysts were breaking up that fight. They said, oh, Stipe likes to get hit a lot early on. They, they brought up that knockdown. They thought that that was going to happen with Stipe in the Ngannou fight, but... I Clearly, always, he's improved a lot. I always back Stipe for that one. Not so much because mm-hmm. I rated Stipe highly, but I thought, I don't know how good Francis is on the ground. I, pers- oh, yeah. I even said to a lot of people when they were all jumping on that hype train, I said, hey, give this guy someone like Verdum first. If he gets past Verdum, then he's ready. Yeah, that would have been a great matchup. Was Verdum match. on suspension around then? I don't think so. I when think- he was fighting... I think Vadum got suspended uh, just after the Volkov fight. So that was a few months after uh, yeah. Stipe versus Francis. Yeah, so it could have been made. I don't know. I think that, that knockout over Overeem, I think any CEO, any president sees that, they're going to give you a title shot no matter what. <laughs> I still insist it's one of the scariest knockouts I have ever seen. I mean, me and my friends <coughs> watching that card, we genuinely thought that Overeem was dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's the most brutal knockout I've seen live. The only other one I could maybe bring up is maybe the uh, Overeem versus Rosenstrike one, just because of the lip. Oh. But in terms of like someone's consciousness, yeah, I'd have to say Overeem versus Ngannou is probably the scariest. Another one that comes to mind for me, and maybe it's because it's women and they don't traditionally hit as hard, but when Shevchenko connected with that head kick against Jessica Rai, I just thought, oh, that's not good. Yeah, Especially that when was you could beautiful. see that Jess started shaking. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> A couple of interesting fights on that Portland card, on the undercard as well. Um, Tristan Connolly, the uh, slayer of um, Michelle Pereira, he's back in action. Um, interesting strawweight fight as well. Carla Esparza and Michelle Watterson, battle of the strawweight gatekeepers as well yeah michelle watterson she always seems to like be right at the cusp of becoming like the top three like when she was fighting joanna but then she always has one big loss that always sends her back but i agree with you i think she is a she's gonna be a gatekeeper to come for a while like i thought that fight against Paige van zandt might have been her best performance but We'll just have to see how the fight goes. Same with Carla Esparza. She used to be the champion a long time ago, but you know now she's sort of having a rocky career. Like most of her wins are just decisions, decisions, decisions. Like her last stoppage was back was in 2014. Rose, yeah, this is the Ultimate Fighter against Rose. So there you go. 
I think if Michelle was ever going to have an opportunity, I didn't see her beating Joanna. But yeah, I, did I didn't think see that. that when she fought Rose, and that was basically to decide Joanna's title challenger for the Madison Square Garden card, that was the best chance for me. And I think, if I remember correctly, she did quite well in the first round. Uh, I'd have to go back and rewatch that fight, but I, I think you are right. I think she was doing pretty well in the beginning round. So yeah, that's the uh, that's a Portland card which is going to be taking place. We have got a lot of cards coming up. I think I've read somewhere that we've got like 13 cards over the space of 14 weeks. Yeah, I don't think we're not going to have a UFC card until something like maybe like May or something, April, something ridiculous like that. So, lots of fights. Yeah, a lot of fights and a lot of the international fight nights as well. Where do you stand on the fight on the international cards? Are you somebody who likes them or do you just think it's it's fighting for the sake of it? Well, normally when I see International Fight Week, I get really nervous because I'm used to fight weeks where somebody always pulls out. There's always an injury like Nunes when she fought Shevchenko. I believe was that the second time they were supposed to fight? Uh, she first, pulled out? First. First, okay, yeah. I'm one of those people that are just kind of wary about it. My International Fight Week is sort of rising. I like their New Year's Eve events. Those are my International Fight Weeks. How about you? I was actually thinking more when I said about the International Fight Cards. I was thinking when they're going to places like, obviously we've got New Zealand card, which is coming up, and obviously mm -hmm. they'll do cards in like Japan, Singapore, that sort of thing. And I think... Yeah, it's great to have MMA on screens, and you never know, there might be some quite entertaining fights on those Asian cards. But more often than not, you get a lot of filler. Yeah. Most of the time when you set up a Japan card, you might have like a nice heavyweight fight on top, but most of it is just filler. Like the last one I could think of was when Blaze fought in Ganyu the second time. Like I only remember... The main event, like I don't even remember the co-main event on that card. I think it was Overeem. I think Overeem beat uh, Pavlovich. Oh yeah, that was Pavlovich's debut, wasn't it? And a lot of people, okay. a lot of people were quite high on Pavlovich, and then Overeem just sort of said, "Hey, there's a level to this." I'm oh so yeah, I thought he was gonna steamroll Overeem when he was walking in there. He had a great record. The guy to really look out for in heavyweight though, Civil Gone. Who? Honestly, check this guy out. He made his debut last year, Civil Garn. Um, he's 3 0 in the UFC. He's going to be fighting Shamil Abdurakimov on UFC 249. Even though the How guy's about 240, 250 pounds, he moves like a featherweight. He's always light on his feet, bouncing around. Great technical kickboxer. Okay, you say he's fighting Ghani next? Uh, he's. Cyril Garn, he's going to be fighting Shamil Abdurakimov. Yeah. All right, I'll have to check out that fight. Just quickly Googling him as we, as we speak there. I didn't even know how to spell his name. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't do that. What we can do is talk about UFC 247. Now, we're recording this on the Monday, so it's still relatively fresh in our memory. Now, the card itself maybe in terms of entertainment value, wasn't the most explosive, wasn't the most entertaining, but it's arguably the most controversial for a long, long time. Yeah, the judges on this card, I think, were... I remember hearing all the jokes about bad judges and everything 
before the card started, but I think after which decision was it? Uh, there was one decision early on that was really bad where I knew okay something might happen in the co-main or main event like somebody was saying Caitlyn might get a decision over Valentina or something but I didn't think that would happen but what do you think about the judges well the Andre Ewell fight was the first one that really made me sort of think yeah that that was it that was it yeah cause I believe it was Martinez was really properly lighting him up in the second round and yet there was one judge who scored that round to Ewell he scored every single round to Ewell and that was the first thing, and you think, yeah, sometimes you do get a dodgy decision, so we'll let that one pass. And then, I think it was the Lauren Murphy fight against Andrea Lee. That was the one which I really did think, hang on a minute, something's not right. Because I watched that with a couple of my friends, and none of us thought Lauren Murphy won that fight. You could give her the first round, but two and three were definitely Lee's. What did you think about... Um the decision with Lewis and uh, TV. I thought that one was pretty bad. I thought that one was rough. I think with Lewis versus Latifi, I think, personally, I think that Lewis's late rally in that third round was what won him the fight. The issue I had with Latifi was, yes, he was getting these takedowns, but he wasn't doing anything with them. And I think, obviously, we're going to be talking about MMA judging in a bit more detail later on in the show. But for me... If you get that takedown, you need to be more effective with it. Just holding someone down, laying and praying isn't enough. And especially if you're somebody who's been quite active on the ground. Derek Lewis wasn't in this case, but if you are somebody who's sort of throwing elbows or trying to go for submissions, that to me has more value than just holding someone. Yeah, I guess you could compare the Lewis to Latifi fight. I guess you could compare that to sort of Reyes versus... Uh, Vulcan Uzdemir. I guess Vulcan sort of did a little bit of the same stuff. Like, he didn't really do anything when he was on the ground with uh, Reyes. So I guess you could compare them. I see what you mean. It reminded me a lot, actually, of um, Derek versus Blagoy. Again, you had sort of like a sort of stocky mm -hmm. wrestler who Lewis was controlling in the standard for large majorities of the time. But... Every time there was a chance to get a takedown, Blagoy was taking advantage of that, and it was very similar to Latifi. He he did a lot better at heavyweight than I thought he was going to be. Oh, yeah. He didn't look very good. I thought he looked a bit too big, and he didn't look like he was <laughs> in a good mood to be there. Like Maybe the weight was a bit too much for him, but he looked better than I thought he would. He was definitely. too stocky for his own good. It's it's very similar to DC, I think, because they're both quite short, quite stocky. They look worse than what they are. Mm. But no, I can... DC, though, he's got that wrestling background, though. He oh. can whip anybody up into the air like it's nothing. <laughs> well, Latifi was... I'm right in saying Latifi was an Olympic alternate. I think so, maybe. Maybe you could look that up. I can see the argument for Latifi winning that fight... I think the judges went the right way, though, with Derek Lewis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't really think it was a massive robbery. I just thought it could have went either way, you know. Uh, quite a compelling fight between Dan Ige and Mercer Bektik. I think when you look at the main card, that was the fight which was going to be closest to call. And it mm -hmm. proved to be so as well. Split decision, and I think this it's quite right that was a split decision as well, because very close fight. Again, I think... Clear first round for Ige, clear second round for Bektik, 
and a very even third round. Yeah, that was a razor close fight. Uh, in terms of the decisions, I think they they did it right. I don't think it was a major robbery or anything. I just think it was so close that you can't really pick a clear winner, but not really a draw, you know. But I think Dan Ige, I think he's going to be great top contender. I don't know if he'll be champion, but I could definitely see him in the top five for a while. I think he'll be raking the top ten. I think there's a couple of guys sort of around that, that area. I think him versus Shane Burgos could be a good fight. Oh, yeah. Two I think Shane Burgos, he's about. fighting on uh, the Portland card. He's fighting the Portland card. Well, that's definitely me sold. I'm a big Shane Burgos fan. Have been since the Calvin Cater fight. Uh, I think that was. Oh yeah. I think that was on UFC 220 as well. I've been. Yeah, that was on... the first fight where I, I've noticed him as well. <laughs> That's what I became a fan. That being said, with Shane Burgos, we have a TV presenter in the UK called Ryan Clark Neal, and honestly, if you look this guy up, Shane Burgos is just a muscular version of Ryan. What's this guy's name? Ryan Clark. Oh yeah, I can see it. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah, um, my dad, he catches some of the fights. Sometimes he comes over to visit. He caught Burgos versus Kater, and he said exactly the same thing. Oh yeah. Um, I think I'll be really... I'm right in saying though that Shane is... You were saying he's fighting on the Portland card. Yeah, let me... He's fighting... Because there were rumours that he was going to try and test free agency. I don't know if that was just a... A negotiation tactic. I'm curious to see about what happens with Mursad though, because if we remember back in 2017, there was a lot of hype around this guy. He was unbeaten in the UFC. A lot of people mm -hmm. were saying he could be a potential top fiver. Then the injuries start piling up. He loses that fight to Darren Elkins. And even though there has been these sort of brief highlights, I mean, the Lamas win was very good. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's really ever captured that momentum again. Yeah, I feel like all the injuries and maybe the uh, the fight that he had with Darren Elkins, I feel like maybe that took a little bit out of him. But I don't, I don't really see where he could really go because he he lost to Josh Emmett. He had a very brutal loss to Josh Emmett. Like he got knocked out in that fight. Josh Emmett, crack, can't he? He is such a hard hitter for that division. Oh yeah, you saw that fight against Michael Johnson. Like he, he starched him brutal and that was after he almost didn't fight again because that fight with Jeremy Stevens like it messed up his face like he pretty much almost like lost an eye or something Featherweight has so yeah. many dark horses like obviously mm -hmm. like you got Calvin Cater, Shane Burgos Arnold Allen, Danny Gay, Josh Emmett like there's guys sort of around that lower top 10 they could all easily get themselves a run be fighting for a belt you know guys have featherweight tournament yeah set something up <laughs> they need it so many of killers in there i think featherweight's taken over lightweight i think lightweight has the better top five but featherweight mm -hmm. has a better top 15 yeah i feel like featherweight is definitely growing definitely i i think it's the best that it's been since um when wec was first signed over and they had aldo and all them i feel like it's it's gotten back up to that level again. What do you think causes these sort of fluctuations in terms of talent? Maybe, uh, I think Tuesday Night Contender is a 
big help for that. I feel like that's definitely opened up the doors for easier contracts instead of going on the Ultimate Fighter and staying on there for like six months and fighting a bunch of other guys. I feel like Tuesday Night Contender is a good, good step in the right direction. I feel like we need more stuff like that, more looking for a fight, more stuff like that. I think the big issue I've had with, obviously it's only three years old now, the big issue I have with Tuesday Night Contender is we haven't really got that sort of breakout star yet. We haven't had the real proper success story. Because mm -hmm. the, the UFC have obviously made a big deal about choosing a contender series and sort of like the new home of young MMA talent. But I look at some of the guys that have come through. Who's the most successful? What, Shabazian? Yeah, probably Shabazian. Maybe Hardy. <laughs> Maybe Hardy, because he fought in... Uh co-main event that was a co-main event right uh the co against volkov yeah co-main event against volkov and i was alan crowder as well was co-main yes yeah, he's so he's getting up there you know i got no real opinion on what happened to him in the past just want to talk about the fights you know i judge him on the way that he presents himself and in interviews after the fight stuff like that I, mean, I don't want to say I love the guy, but, you know, just lukewarm on him. I don't hate him. I don't love him, you know. He's just a fighter. Ignoring the outside issues with Greg Hardy, there is potential there. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of choosing... But I, that I believe he's out for, like, six months or something after a Volkov fight. Like, he got a couple injuries after that because he was fighting so much. Like, it was, like, almost every other month he was fighting. I think he's back for the Columbus card. Yeah, isn't he fighting a Brazilian on that card, I believe? He's isn't it the same guy that knocked out Tafa? Isn't it that guy? Jorgen de Castro, yeah. And speaking of okay. uh, speaking of Justin Tafa, what did you think of his knockout? I thought that was a very surprising knockout. I was watching that with a bunch of people, and nobody had Tafa in that fight. Nobody. I was actually surprised. Everybody was bringing up the... The uh, New Zealand car, they were bringing up that knockout loss. I had um, I had uh, Juan Adams picked on my verdict, so I'm not going to say that I was riding the Tafa train that night, but that was a crazy knockout. I got flashes of Mark Hunt when he got that knockout. Very Mark, -es Mark Hunt-esque style, and he also shouted him out at the post-fight interview. So Are you just you saying go. that because he's a fat Samoan? He looks just like him. He looks just like him. You look at his face. He looks just like him. I want the. I want him and Mark Hunt to have jokes like Chase Hooper and Ben Askren. How they act like they're each other's like family. I want that to happen with Mark Hunt and Justin Tafa. That's one of the funniest <laughs> moments of last year. That when um, Hooper goes to Masvidal and he asks, "Why did you do that to my dad?" Yeah, that's hilarious. That's gotta happen with Mark Hunt. It's sad though, from one Adams's perspective though, because. Usually, when a guy signs to the UFC, they usually get a three or four fight deal. And normally, mm -hmm. if you go one and three, you're done. Yeah. And obviously, this is a... This is, what, a second straight knockout loss, third loss in a row. The omens don't look well for him. And I think that's a real shame, because he's a big, colourful character, massive bloke as well, 265 pounds, has a wrestling background from his time in the army. So, compelling backstory, but... It's a form sport. Yeah, it's a tough sport. What are you going to do, really? I guess maybe you could set him up against... Maybe give him one more fight. I feel like maybe one more fight. And then you decide what to do with him. I don't think you should cut him right away. 
you know, we had the loss to Hardy and the loss to Adam, or not Adam's Tafa, and the loss to uh, Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. He lost. That was just a decision, though. It was still a great fight, though. But I think one more fight. And then you figure out what to do with him. I think I'm right to say Bueller's fighting for the uh, one heavyweight title. He's going to be fighting Viva. Really? They're setting up that fight? Well, the the one heavyweight division is incredibly Fredbear. So, I mean, if you have some sort of name behind you, you're going to be fast-tracked to those sort of opportunities. But I'm surprised we aren't seeing more fighters doing that, to be honest. If you ask somebody who's sort of in the lower levels of the UFC just filling out these sort of international fight nights. Why not take a chance? Why not go international or try a different promotion and somewhat artificially move yourself into a higher place up the card? I believe that's what John Lineker did. He was a top three guy, obviously, but he is signed to one championship. But a lot of the times when they sign fighters, they keep them on the shelf for a while. Like Vitor Belfort, they signed him like like 2017 or something like 2018 and he still hasn't even gotten a fight yet he's just posting all his crazy workout videos where he looks ripped as hell still no fight set up for him yet same with john lineker i don't think he's got a fight set up yet does he i think some fighters have no compete clauses so they can sign oh, okay. for promotion but they have to stay on the shelf for another um six or seven months before they can actually compete Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But I feel like somebody who could sign the one championship and would be perfect is maybe someone like Elias Theodoro. I think maybe he'd be perfect. You know, he's not the greatest entertaining fighter, but I feel like maybe him going to one or PFL would be perfect. I feel like him and PFL would be great. I feel like he could win that because it's Decision City over in PFL. I feel like he he'd be perfect. Why would Singapore have to suffer watching Elias Fiodoro? <laughs> you asked, man. I'm bringing up my ideas for fighters. <laughs> and I like them. I welcome every sort of out there idea, especially when we start talking about what we're going to do about MMA judging. Before we mm -hmm. get to that, though, uh, what was your opinion on the core man, Shevchenko and Chukasian? From Valentina's perspective, job done. Yeah, I feel like that went about the way everybody expected I feel like maybe Valentina is a bit strange like when she's on a fight night she doesn't really have like an absolutely amazing performance the only one that I can think of is maybe the Pena Juliana Pena when she submitted her but when she fought Carmouche that was just like a five round decision but you know Carmouche's style I guess maybe she didn't want to fall into any traps or anything but when you put her on a pay-per-view she always shows up to fight she always shows up for a huge knockout like the the eye fight and this one the ground and pound finish I understand why there's a lot of people that don't like Valentina Shevchenko because mm -hmm. she is very she's a very clinical fighter she's not somebody who's going to take chances if she doesn't need to and the fights can't be hit and miss because of that reason this though leaned towards the better side of Shevchenko for me and I mm -hmm. think yeah, fights can be sometimes dull, but I think it's just fantastic to see such a good technician at work. And I actually gave Chukasian a little bit more of a chance than other people did. I thought, here we have a girl who has quite an awkward 
uh, deceiving style. I, I described her as elusive when I did the preview mm-hmm. on the channel. Yeah. And because she's quite similar, ironically, to Theodora, she just circles the cage, and because she looks so busy, sometimes the judges can get swayed by that. So I was intrigued to see how Valentina would handle that, but she was on top form here. Yeah, she looked incredible, but my question is, what do you do with her now? Do you set up like a Nunes trilogy? Like, what do you really do, you know? The issue with doing a Nunes trilogy right now is because I think there is still a lot of sour taste around the second fight. Because them two styles clash like water and oil. Because you've got a girl who has such issues surrounding her cardio that she's not willing to go aggressive. And Shevchenko, who's so wary of the other's power, she's not going to take any chances, especially at 135, where she can't utilize the takedowns as much as she does the flyweight. Mm-hmm. I think that Shevchenko's going to stay down at 125 for at least another year or so. I think from a British perspective, it works out quite well for us because the likelihood is it's going to be Joanne Caldwood next. And I can see yeah, that. Yeah, I've been hit. seeing a lot of people calling for that fight. I think that could be a hell of a fight. Because Giorgio, Giorgio's almost sort of like a prototype Shevchenko. I mean, if the flyweight division was around sort of 2014, I could see Giorgio being champion, a quite a long reigning one. Quite a similar oh, yeah. sort of style to yeah. Shev. But more importantly, from my own perspective, I can see that headline in the Glasgow card in July. And that's what two hour drive away from me. So, a few quick tickets in, you- and then I'll be there to watch a title fight. You ever been to a UFC event in person? Never been to a UFC event. I tried getting tickets for when I think Vadum fought Volkov. So that was what two years ago. It's one of my favorite knockouts. <laughs> I look like I'm not really a fan of Verdum. I, I don't really like him that much. I feel like that face that he used to always do that was so cringy and ridiculous. And also when he he had the belt after Kane and he like pretty much put the division on ice for like almost like two years like that was ridiculous well I love the entirety of that card though because that was the card where um, Paul Craig pulled that last minute submission was that on who was that on because I I remember seeing that fight was that the show no that wasn't Shogun that was recently Uh, yeah I mean it's like 10 seconds left to go he locks in this triangle submission taps him up with like second remaining insane tell you what there's some guys you know who you know will never be champion and who you know are actually pretty rubbish fighters but you just you just for some reason you just love them Paul Craig's one of those for me I guess somebody I could put in that category I don't want to say Justin Gagey obviously because I feel like if he if he gets that proper mindset and he gets that proper strategy down like he's been doing recently I feel like he could be a champion he could be a champion but I feel like somebody like that is probably I'm trying there's, to think. Well, Johnny couple, Walker. Johnny Walker is a good one. I feel there's guys like that. I mean, Weltwitz full of them. Like you got guys like mm-hmm. Michelle Pereira, Nico Price. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. Vincent Luque, Brian Barberina. Some great guys in Weltwitz who you ne- know will never be a champion, but are fantastically entertaining. Uh, Luke, I believe he's fighting um, Randy Brown on the Portland card. Randy Rude Boy Brown. That would be a great fight. That's going to be a hell of a fight. Again, welterweight, low-level welterweight is fantastic right now. 
what did you what did you make of just trying to get back on topic, what did you make of Chukasian and her performance? Because Chukasian came into this fight a lot quite a negative reputation in terms of her fighting style, a lot of people saying that she was boring, people calling her a female Theodoru. I think she she was gay. She 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 took the fight to Shevchenko as much as she could in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like she was doing good until she got that that cut from the elbow. I feel like that was sort of the turning point when she got that massive cut. I'm surprised the fight didn't even get called off for that, actually. But If it was in New York, maybe, it would have done. Yeah, definitely. But I feel like her mindset before the fight, when she was in interviews saying she wanted like a Nunes fight and everything, she was going to steamroll Valentina and everything, you don't say that. Like, <laughs> you don't say that prior to a title fight. If I'm in a title fight, I'm going to be as nice to the guy as possible because I don't want any memes after the fight. None of that. So I feel like her f- first couple of minutes she was doing well, but yeah valentina smash <laughs> so there's the reports that it's most likely going to be Calderwood at glasgow in july and then after that that's where it starts getting tricky because we could realistically be looking at lauren murphy versus roxanne modafferi as a number one contender fight no macy barber Macy's not going to be fighting for another um, nine months or so. Blew out of ACL. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was just making a Yoel Romero joke. (laughs) I have promised myself, though, and normally I don't keep too many promises when it comes to the channel, but I have said to myself, if Roxanne Modafferi gets a legitimate title shot, I will make a Roxanne Modafferi career retrospective video. Oh yeah, that would definitely be a, a great video because she's been there from the start. She's pioneer. And I mean, you look at some of those early fights that she had. There's some of them on uh, Fight Pass where she's all like, I think three and one, four and one, something like that. And you look at the events that they would take place and these were high school gyms. And it was nearly wow. all grappling. There was no striking in women's MMA at that point. Wow, it's incredible. Gone- She's gone from that to fighting in the UFC. She fought in Madison Square Garden, fought for mm-hmm. a title once before. It's It's been a fantastic story. Truly has been. I feel like that would be a great video if you make that. Well, certainly hope so. So fingers crossed that Roxy can keep winning and eventually two plus two equals five and I get to make that video. It's one I'm actually... I sometimes enjoy making the sort of documentary style videos where focusing on one subject rather than the sort mm-hmm. of list based stuff yeah I feel the same way <laughs> I didn't really like putting together glass jaws that was a lot of work but I prefer doing the single videos like the Gagey video so now we talk about our main event and probably the most controversial UFC title fight since what would you say Johnny Hendricks versus GSP Ironically, another fight quite similar to this one. Dominant champion coming up against a rising contender. A lot of people believing the contender did enough to claim the claim the. If I can get words out, did enough to claim the win. Yeah, I, I don't think it was as controversial as Johnny Hendricks versus GSP. I feel like that that fight should have been like overturned, like maybe. But I think in terms of like the last big upset, you, you're right. I can't really think of one that's this bad in a title fight. But I think 
it, I don't think it was like a horrible decision. I just think it was so close. I just think it was such a close fight. I'd have to go back and rewatch the first three rounds, honestly. Well, the first thing I need to com- con- commend Dominic Rios for is I saw the stare down with himself and John Jones, and Rios looked incredibly nervous. And I just thought, oh God, we're going to have another Anthony Smith situation. He's just going to freeze on the occasion, and John Jones is going to dominate. Credit where mm-hmm. it's due, he did exactly the right thing. He earned John's respect early on in that first round. And from that point on, John, I felt John couldn't implement his game as much as what he liked because of the job Rias did in that first round. I feel like the most impressive from Reyes was when John, I think it was in the, maybe the third round, when he he knew that he was in trouble and he completely relied on instincts and he went diving in for the takedown and Reyes was able to stand up. He pretty much shook them off and then he got taken down that one time, but he got right back up. He got right back up. I feel like his wrestling and his clinch work was really good compared to the Smith fight. I think from Rias's perspective, you touched on something there when you mentioned the takedowns, is takedown recovery from Dominic Rias was absolutely fantastic. And it sort of brings us up when we're obviously talking about the judging, which we'll do after we sort of do this assessment, is I think the judging sometimes places too much value in takedowns. Yes, it does mean a lot to get somebody down, but if somebody's just bouncing straight back up or you're not doing anything with the takedown, it doesn't mean all that much if anything the opponent should be getting more reward as it were for actually getting back to their feet so quickly yeah that's a good point I feel like maybe the takedowns in that fight you shouldn't look at them and say oh my god two takedowns to zero there you go that's clear couple of points right there if you go back and watch he was getting up extremely quickly I feel like you're right they should possibly give him extra points for that because maybe that would be a good idea to change in the judging the one that always sticks in my mind was when Bisping fought uh, GSP and GSP mm-hmm. got that takedown in the third round but Bisping was just hammering elbows and eventually got to the state that GSP had to get out the guard because he was taking so much damage if yeah he got up he was all cut up if you had a situation like that you surely can't reward GSP for that sort of segment of play when Bisping was doing more damage, even though he was on the bottom. Yeah, maybe you should introduce something like takedown control, I don't know, something like that. Maybe ground control, something like that you could maybe implement. Well, Major I don't Tom know. would dominate the uh, ground control, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> big yeah, boy yeah. fan, big boy fan. I have to hold my hands up to that one. The big turning point for me, I think obviously it's a given that Reyes won for round one. And as he started to tire, John took control with four and five. It's two yeah. and three, which is the big, big deciding rounds for me. And personally, in my opinion, I think that, again, Dom was the aggressor. Dom was the one who was landing the big shots. Credit where it's due to John. He, John does have fantastic striking defense. He's almost very, dare I say, Mayweather-esque in terms of like his shoulder rolling and how he just seems to avoid taking the big shots. Yeah, I believe it was in the first round when uh, Reyes was throwing all those shots and he was doing the head movement. My friend said the exact same thing. (laughs) I treated it like a joke, but he was right. You know, the head movement was really good for MMA. 
Do you think John underestimated Dominic Rias to an extent? Because we have seen a guy who has been so dominant for so long. Obviously, you had people like Dana White, Joe Rogan, blowing lots of hot air up beneath his behind. Do you think that maybe he sort of thought, hey, I've seen guys like this before. I've beaten, I mean, I've beaten the Glovers. I've beaten the Rampages, the Machinas, mm -hmm. the Richards of the world. Surely I'm going to be taking out this sort of Sid the Sloth figure with his dodgy quiff. Do you think he maybe he like, them? I feel like maybe in the first round he did a bit. Like, John normally takes a bit to get going. In the first round, I feel like he didn't really respect him at all, really. That's when Dominic was sort of scoring the big shots. But I feel like when he started to do those takedowns and when he panic-wrestled in, I believe, the third, that's when he started to take him seriously, and he knew that he was going to lose his title. Of course, though, the uh, judges went the wrong way. Um, a lot of people, I think it was, what, six, uh, 14 out of the 20 judges scored that fight oh. for Rias, uh, three rounds to two. The judges, however, didn't see it that way. They went all, all the judges, including a 49-46 for uh, John Jones, which you could hear the crowd. They did not like that decision. Yeah, I think everybody was booing that, actually. And then when they put Dom on the mic, they all started cheering like crazy after John was on the mic. <laughs> what do you think that must be like for a fighter? If you have so many people who... Because, I mean, there are a lot of fighters out there who do lean a lot on what fans think of them. And you know John has, John has a massive ego, so it's probably not going to bother him as much as the next person. But it must shake you up a bit if... You in your head think you've won this fight, but you hear all these people in the crowd, 20, 30,000 people, all booing your head off because they don't agree. I guess it's just all about your mindset. It's all about how you overcome that. I guess the best way you can compare it to is maybe online trolls, I guess. Like if you can, if you can ignore that and move on with the rest of your life, then it doesn't really matter. It, the only way it matters is to the fighter itself you know how they perceive it but john isn't really you know like the ally of quinto where he's gonna start swearing at the crowd or anything like that it, i just feel like it's just all about your mindset he's too media conscious to be doing anything like that yeah i feel like john is too he's too old to you know mess up again i feel like if he does anything huge like that he might be done I don't see them bringing him back. The one thing that is done though, and this will probably come back to haunt me, and it'll probably be dominating for another five or six years afterwards. Saturday's fight confirmed that the aura of John Jones is dead. Yeah, I feel like he's more vulnerable than ever. Arguably, like, I would dare I say, ever since the whole picogram thing. I mean, a lot of it is 2 plus 2 equals 5, but we can't argue that since John Jones came back from his drug issues, we haven't seen that same sort of spark that we have done. I mean, great performance in the Gus fight, but Gus arguably was carrying a groin injury. He should have been dominating Anthony Smith, especially with how yeah. passive Smith was in that fight, and yet that went to a decision. He struggled against Thiago Santos, who could barely walk, and then he arguably lost against Dominic Reyes. Yeah, the Santos fight, I feel like, was the most telling because he literally had, like, Santos literally had, like, two shattered, like, 
legs in that fight. Like he could barely even move. And John wasn't doing any of those knee kicks or any of those leg, those leg, those strange poking leg shots. He wasn't doing any of that. So that's what I noticed that maybe we might be seeing John lose in a couple of fights. But who's going to be that guy? Because obviously this weekend, and we'll be talking about that in a bit more detail. Uh, we've got Corey Anderson fighting Jan Blachowicz. Mm-hmm. I personally don't see either of those two guys having enough to do anything about John Jones. I, I favor Corey between the two, but I think that would be quite a comfortable win for John on paper. Yeah, I feel like the most comfortable spot for John would probably be light heavyweight. I feel like if he goes up to heavyweight and he faces some guy like in, in Ganu in a five-round fight, that could be bad. And Garnu and Stipe both beat John Jones at heavyweight. Yeah, I can see it being bad. So the only thing I can think of is if John does fight one of those two, there's there's two options on the table, I should say, because I think heavyweight's out of the picture now. And mm-hmm. John's going to fight the Corey Blakovitz winner, possibly around fight week. Or they run the Reyes fight back again. Which... On one hand, I would like to see it because I want to see that injustice righted. But we know how good John is when it comes to rematches. I feel like yeah. you get one shot at John Jones to try and win. And if it doesn't work out, it's done. Yeah, I really could see a rematch being definitely completely different. I could see John uh, not really letting him get in close. Sort of like the best way I could sort of imagine it is sort of like the Ruiz versus Joshua rematch I could see it sort of being like that you know Ray is trying to get on the inside and John just pushes back and he doesn't let him get on the inside and get those big shots I could see it sort of being like that and maybe a bit more clinch work from John I could see him trying to clinch up whatever he tries to get close so yeah I feel like a rematch would not be as close and what do we do about Dominic Rias? Yeah, really. But what do you do? Do you set him up against Santos? Maybe you set him up against the Anderson versus Blaswowitz winner. What do you really do? I could possibly see him fighting the loser of that fight. One thing mm. I'd quite like to see. Don't know whether or not he'll actually come back for it. There's been rumors that Gus might be reversing his retirement. Rias yeah, I believe. Gus would be interesting yeah i believe gus was coming back to fight rockhold at one point he was gonna fight rockhold at light heavyweight but rockhold's not coming back i hope he doesn't come back yeah i hope he doesn't come back he's gotta sign up for a hugo boss sponsorship or something he's gotta figure something out he's gotta do modeling i feel like he doesn't need to fight so the big talking point obviously we talked about what had been happening between John Jones Dominic Reyes fantastic fight if a little bit controversial but the big story to come out of UFC 247 was the judging now Texas has had some sort of issues in regards to MMA over the past couple of years uh, which we'll touch on maybe in a bit more detail this one really highlighted that these concerns were much more severe than people feared and there were so many questionable judges' decisions on that card. So, for this sort of next segment of the show, which is going to be talking about MMA judging and what should be done to maybe try and improve things in the future. 
I feel like that that point that we brought up about the takedowns, I feel like that would be a great idea to implant implement, like maybe some takedown control, maybe. Like top game control, you could sort of put that down as well. Just something in terms of the takedowns, because it doesn't really make sense if you score takedowns, but the guy keeps on getting back up each time, you know? I feel like you shouldn't reward someone for that, like you said. I think at its heart, one of the big issues that comes from MMA judging, obviously state athletic commissions traditionally normally work with boxing. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of guys there who are at their heart boxing judges and will try and apply the sort of same sort of criteria that you would use for boxing into an MMA scene. But when you've got so much more going on in MMA, in terms of clinch work, in terms of takedowns, in terms of submission attempts, you can't really apply that as strongly as what you could do. So I would maybe like to see something similar to what Big John McCarthy did with his command center, where we actually have more, we we educate people more on what it actually means to be an MMA judge rather than a combat sports judge. Mm-hmm. So I'd maybe like to see that in a bit more detail. I mean, I've been see, hearing a couple of ideas of what other people have been saying, and the issue you have is that you have, like Ariel Elwani put forward this idea that we should have sort of like live scoring as the fight goes on. So that end of the first round, you see the scores, Rias won that one 10-9. So the fight is yeah, exactly be what perfect. needs perfect. I done. think they do that a little bit in boxing, not the official judges, but they'll have one of the commentator guys there who knows what he's talking about. They'll have him score the fight. Well, Eddie Bravo and... used to do that on the um, on the early UFC cards. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which that obviously got started to get phased out. I know in amateur boxing, obviously they have digital readouts on the cards. So if uh, if three of the judges determine, hey, that shot connected, you get a point for that. So it does turn into sort of like a point-based okay. system, which not entirely sure how, how much value that would have. My concern is though, is Let's say mentally you're someone like Dominic Rias. You think, hey, I've won these final three rounds. Maybe I can take it a little bit easier going into two and three. If you find that the judges have gone against you and you go into four and five knackered and you've still lost, all your fight's going to be gone. You're just going to be thinking, what's the point? I I can't do anything to beat this guy. Yeah, maybe if you have it only on the television broadcast, (laughs) maybe not in the actual arena, Maybe that would be a good solution to that. I don't know. Another another idea which has been put forward is the idea of having ex-fighters act as judges. And yeah, that would be a great idea. That does sound like a great idea on paper. Um, obviously, if you, I think there's one of the, I think one of the old Ultimate Fighter contestants is actually training to be a judge in New York State. I can't tell you the name off the top of my head. My concern with that though is there's going to be a lot of personal biases when it comes to pro fighters and you just wonder yeah. if, let's say you're someone Never like let's say Anthony Pettis decides to go into judging after his MMA career ends what's going to happen if Pettis is judging a, a, Duke, a Duke Rufus fight or one of his old <laughs> teammates or one of his old rivals that's true that's a very clear point maybe you could get someone like I don't know maybe 
someone like maybe a retiree like Jens Pulver, you could get him in there maybe. Maybe Frank Trigg, if he's not roughing, maybe you could get him in there, you know. Maybe somewhat like older fighters like that. I'm just loving the idea of some proper old school guy like a Don Fry. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna go that far back, but you could do a Don Fry. I don't know if he's Forget up with the judges, unified he's rules until one of you gets knocked out. Yeah, I don't think he knows the unified rule set. <laughs> Would you maybe like the idea of maybe going back to Pride rules? Because what Pride used to do was rather than having the points-based system, they would just judge a fight as a whole. Whoever they felt won the fight rather than who won the round was given the win. And also I felt with Pride, they valued intent a lot more. So Mm -hmm. if the guy was actively chasing a submission or being the aggressor, that was always seen as more valuable. I'm one of those guys that think the uh, global fight rule set that they have in Ryzen, I feel like that's the best fight rule set. But in terms of scoring, yeah, you're right. I feel like that could be a good change for the UFC. But maybe it's too late to do something like that, you know? It would be too big of a change. I'd like to see, maybe on an amateur scene, maybe in one of the regional promotions, I would like to see somebody at least try and experiment with the rules. Mm-hmm. To, to just see what works, what doesn't, and then maybe if you do have something which click on and say, hey, maybe digital scoring is working, people are chasing the fight knowing that they're behind, or hey, using the global rules on the American scene is more beneficial, because I think there's a lot of people out there, with, especially with the John Jones fight, they just feel like we had this great star-making performance from Dominic Rias, one that was worthy of winning a title, and it's all been for naught. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't even the John Jones incident. I mean, that's the one that's stealing all the attention. There were so many questionable decisions on that card. And does anyone feel a bit uncomfortable? I mean, Joe Solis is the guy who especially is getting a lot of grief. Am I the only one who just feels a little bit uncomfortable with how high profile this guy's got? Because, I mean, obviously we have a lot of soccer in uh, the UK. And referee, people know everything about a referee. They know where he's from. They know what football team he supports. And if a decision goes the wrong way in a football game, the referees can come in for a lot of abuse. And I would hate the idea of a guy like Solis. And I mean, whether you like his decisions or not, I just feel like there's going to be some fans out there who are going to be finding out the information about this guy. And I just worry about what could happen. Yeah, like the guy probably got doxxed after that fight. Like, feel bad for his family. I mean, people. I'm not one of those people that should go after, like, judges. I feel like, well, you should definitely have the names up there, but I don't know. (laughs) They always put them front and center. Because the other one who got a lot of grief for it was Adelaide Bird. Oh, yeah, I know Adelaide Bird. And I mean, I, I, I don't agree with her decisions in the fights that she's covered, but some of the grief that she was getting was it was too much for me well yeah even Joe Rogan was trashing her on his own podcast (laughs) what did you make of Joe's comments after the fight well I I liked how he sort of exposed that one judge he said that that one judge wasn't even watching the fight like I thought he was going to yell at the guy to be like watch the fight get off your phone (laughs) I, I liked how he sort of brought attention to the judging 
I feel like Joe Rogan, he's, he's the ambassador for MMA, sort of. Who could you compare him to? I guess he's sort of uh, maybe the John Madden of MMA. I don't know. I <laughs> describe him as a male Oprah. Oh, yeah, that could work. <laughs> male Oprah, that could work. But I, I feel like his comments were justified. Definitely justified. Especially when you know how high Joe is on jo- on John Jones. I mean, he mm-hmm. thinks so highly of him. So for him to be critical of this result, I think was very damning. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see what he says on next episode of the podcast if he talks about it. I think he'll be talking to some sort of random scientist for the next few weeks. Yeah, I'll probably bring up the fight to like elon musk or something on the podcast he'll bring it up to some scientist or bob lazar he'll ask him about the fight (laughs) so obviously we've touched on mma judging and all the controversy that goes with that i think pretty much it's been covered ad nauseum i mean there's going to be about twenty thousand mma podcasts who are all going to be talking about the same thing so what we're going to do instead i want to be focusing on the fight that could potentially decide John Jones's next opponent. That's going to be happening ironically in New Mexico. So that's John Jones's home state. And Corey Anderson is taking on Jan Blachowicz. 13-4 record versus a 25-8. and eight. Uh, Quite a big age difference between the two fighters as well. And even though this is a number one contender match on paper, it's not really capturing people's imaginations. Yeah, it's not really a huge fight, you know? It's not really something that you could put... I guess you could sort of put it as like a co-co-main event on a pay-per-view, but it's not really a fight that everybody's going out to buy tickets for immediately. But I feel like it could be a good fight. I think it'll be probably better than the Jacare versus Blasco's fight. I think it'll definitely be better than that. Well, Kimbo versus Dada was better than Jacques versus Jacare. <laughs> Oh, at least there was a stoppage in that, so... <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't that sanctioned by Texas as well? Yes. It was. Now that explains everything. Definitely does. It explains why they gave Lewis a win. Well, I personally agree with that one. Uh, Latif I just feel like won- it was so close that like I'm not really angry about it. I just feel like... You know, it was just a close fight. It wasn't the worst decision on the card. I think Lauren Murphy no. versus Andrea Lee, that was the worst one for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I tell you what, I mean, I'm looking through some of the fights on the on the New Mexico card here. We've got some really ent- entertaining fights, really interesting fights, I should say. Obviously, Diego Sanchez and Michelle Pereira, that's going to be the core man. So the way these two have been recently, it's not going to be a great fight, but it's going to be absolutely insane. Because Diego Sanchez is an animal and Pereira is going to throw every single kind of spinning weird capoeira stuff that he knows out of his book. So the first 30 seconds of the fight are going to be fun at least. Do you know if Diego is like actually training at a proper gym now? I don't think he is. I think he's just... No, he's still with the guy. (laughs) I think he's still with that guy. I don't think Jackson Winker is associated with him anymore. All right, we'll have to see how that fight goes. <laughs> but I could see Diego not dealing with that crap, that spinning crap. I could see him just immediately shooting for a takedown if he tries any of those somersault stuff. 
But you got a uh, Venata versus Medeiros on here. That's a nobody's gonna be an insane fight. fight. Yeah, nobody's talking about that. What the hell? That would be insane. And there was you a, see that being fireworks. There was a time when Medeiros was, I wouldn't say he was like a world beater, but he was a like good solid top ten guy. Yeah, it wasn't until he fought Cerrone where he sort of went back to being that, you know, that regular sort of lightweight guy, like just getting great fights over and over, but not really reaching the top three, you know. Okay. But it's. I'll let you go first. Go ahead. It's been a while since we've seen Yancey fight, you know. I, I think his last fight. It was against Gregor, was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gillespie. Gregor. He got mad yeah. in that fight. Yeah, that was his first fight after the Cerrone loss. So we'll have to see what his mindset is in the Venata fight. Looking through to see some of the other somewhat somewhat notable names on the card. I mean, you've got Jim Miller there. He's been going for like about 10,000 years. Tim Means is back again. Nathaniel Wood, who... I've been following this guy on the British scene. He was very good for like K-12 years. Watch the fight he had with Josh Reed. It's insane. He's going to be fighting John Dodson. So a good opportunity for him to judge how good he is in the Bantamweight division. Um, in terms of other guys there. Both De La Rosa's are fighting. Montana and Mark are on the same card. So that's going to be interesting to see. Are they like siblings? A husband and wife. Oh, shit. <laughs> the only husband and wife in the UFC. Wow. Surprise Paige Van Zandt and her boyfriend aren't in there. I think he's fighting for another promotion. Yeah, he's in Bellator. He's in Bellator. Where Paige will be soon enough? Yeah, probably. Definitely. <laughs> and of course, the first ever women's flyweight champion, Nico Montano. There's going to be like a quell of support from, um, from uh, the New Mexico tribe that she's part of. Still would have liked to see how that Valentino fight would have went. Badly. Yeah, I don't think it would have been great for her, but I, I still would have liked to see what happened just to get that storyline out of the way. And I think it's a shame. I mean, obviously I did the video on Nico Montano, the worst UFC champion, which I feel a bit guilty about making that, especially using that title. But obviously <laughs> yeah. it's, it's clickbait. You, you have to make these sort of sacrifices. Nico is she's not a bad fighter I mean I watched that fight she had with Juliana Pena and I felt yeah Pena won that fight but the gulf between the two wasn't as big as what a lot of people made it out to be I mm-hmm. could see her I could see her maybe in that, that sort of lower top 15 of the bantamweight division especially with how sparse that division is right now mm-hmm. we'll just have to see how her fight goes Jason. Uh, Macy Chasson, um, two Ultimate Fighter winners. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I've actually checked this out. Nico's two fights in the UFC, well, apart from the Ultimate Fighter finale, her two fights have been against the other Ultimate Fighter winners, Juliana Pena and uh, Macy Chasson. That's funny. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Just need to um, cut another 20 pounds and fight Tatiana Suarez, and then she'll have the full house. Yeah, there you go. I wonder when Tatiana's going to fight again. I was high on her at some point. Apparently, she's been having a lot of issues with her neck. Oh, okay. So she's been sorting those out. Um, 
I do see her maybe being in contention for the title. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's going to be depending on what happens between Whaley and Ioana and what happens mm-hmm. between Rose and Andrade because if Whaley was to beat Ioana, which at this moment in time I think she will, and then yeah. if Andrade was to fight, was to beat Rose, I think Suarez gets the next title shot. Yeah, and there's some great fights coming up in that division. Strawweight's I, amazing. I def- I, I've said this for a long time. Strawweight, in my opinion, is the most underrated division in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, you, you've got like a top five there. You've got like Whaley, Ioana, Rose, Andrade, Suarez. All five of those could be champion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. One that I'm surprised fell off was Carolina. I'm surprised she's not in the top five anymore I, think I remember was, when she fought Joanna I think there was a couple of factors which have played a part in that I think that I think Carolina she's she's a good striker and especially the Rose fight I think she looked really good in that fight but she is quite limited and I think that a lot of people maybe found realized that hey she sticks her chin up if we approach her in a certain way we're going to cause her problems and obviously we saw that with what happened against Andrade, where that ended in a disaster for mm-hmm. her. But I think mentally as well, she's 34 years old, she's talked about wanting to have a family, and maybe she's just sort of just sort of fighting for the sake of it. You brought up uh, brutal women's knockouts. That's, a, that's one you get out of right there. That's a brutal one. Especially, that one rough. especially a straw weight. I think that's the hardest straw weight knockout I can remember seeing. Oh yeah, that was when Andrade started to get noticed. <laughs> I'd been on the Andrade radar. I remember watching her when she fought jo- Joanne Calderwood. That was the first time I thought, "Hey, this is a girl to watch mm-hmm. out for." To be honest, I thought that she was going to be the one to beat Joanna. But Joanna's takedown defense in that fight was fantastic, and after the yeah, first she had two the perfect rounds, game she plan. She controlled that fight. Mm-hmm. All the people still sleeping on Andrade. I think they saw what happened against Whaley and just underestimate her. She's still a top contender. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that Rose rematch will go. Because Rose was doing very well in the first round. Like She was piecing her up pretty well. That was the best I'd ever seen Rose fight. Yeah, she looked incredible in that fight. Rose is another one which I think is quite funny as well because I think... It's almost like yin and yang. You see this girl away from the ring and she's completely different to how she fights and you just wonder how how she's able to sort of flick that switch and just go and become an absolute savage when she's in there. But yeah, she's, she's one of those fighters though. I feel like she's got a lot of mental hurdles she's yes. got to get over though because she's still afraid of Connor after that attack or whatever on the bus, the the dolly she she was still afraid of that like eight months after it happened like something crazy like that like she said that she was so afraid to even go outside her house so i feel like she's got some mental hurdles to get over but if she manages to get over them i could see her definitely being a champion again and she teased the idea of maybe walking away as well after the andrade yeah. fight so you just sort of think how is is her head in the right place still yeah but then again, we thought that after the Connor attack, like a lot of people said, hey, I'm going to, I don't want to fight. Don't want to fight after what happened. And then she has that fantastic match with Joanna again. 
Yeah, I feel like she could definitely be champion again. Honestly, 100%. if I remade the 10 greatest women's fights videos, Rose Yuana 2 would possibly be in my top 3. It's a fantastic match. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and rewatch the first one. I remember that one being insane. That's one of my favorite cards. Honestly, UFC 217, the entirety of that main card is the best I've ever had as an MMA fan. Yeah, that's probably the best UFC event I've seen live. In terms of this main card, though, Corey Anderson and Jan Blachowicz, who who has the upper hand between these two, do you think? I feel like maybe Corey Anderson. I feel like maybe he's got a bit more momentum after the Walker fight. But John, like the way he's been looking the past couple of fights, he's been looking good. I feel like it'll be a, a close fight. I'm curious to see what kind of Jan turns up here because mm -hmm. Jan... Because with the Luke Rockhold fight, we saw a guy who has a lot of power in his hands. And I think the way he released from the clinch to get that quick left hand in and just completely clean out Rockhold, very impressive to see. And then the Jacare fight, it was just, it was a clinch battle. It was so dull to watch. Yeah, I can't even remember anything about that fight other than the clinching. <laughs> it was awful. It was such a bad fight. And the, the rest of the card wasn't much better because that was the one which had Shogun and Paul Craig in the co-main. Yeah, that might have been probably the weakest card of last year. Yeah. I'm favouring Corey between the two as well. I think that we've got a guy who has the momentum, but he has the confidence as well. Because Corey Anderson, for a long time, was just a wrestler. But I mm. think because of what he did to Johnny Walker with all the hype that Walker had he's got the confidence in his hands now it's very similar to Curtis Blades when he fought JDS Blades now has the confidence in his hands to go with his wrestling and Corey's got that as well so I, I could see Corey I could see Corey winning a decision my concern from his perspective though is and for John as well if neither if neither of them get the finish they're going to run the uh, John Jones Dominic Rios fight back. So I think there's going to yeah. be a big incentive on both of them to go all out for the win. Yeah, I feel like if none of them get a decision, I don't see them getting the title shot off of that. Which way are you going, though? I'm going with Anderson in that fight. I'm leaning Not disrespecting way. him again. I picked Walker when he fought Anderson, so I'm not disrespecting him again. <laughs> I wouldn't say I picked Corby for the 244 fight, but I wasn't as sold on the Walker hype train as what a lot of other people were. I was entertained Yeah, by that him. hype train, it was a bit strange. It wasn't necessarily as big as the Ngannou one, but it was still there. Like, it was still a hype train. It was the character but I don't remember... more than anything. Yeah. I think people like Johnny Walker, the personality. Yeah, when he's tripping up on stage, going away and stuff like that. <clears throat> I'm curious to see what's going to happen. What type of Johnny Walker we're going to see when he fights Krylov? Well, he's training in TriStar now. He's over in Montreal, I believe, with GSP. So I feel like it will be probably a bit more patient. He'll probably be a bit more patient in his approach. Please don't, tell, I, me, I, please don't tell me when we're going to get dull grappler. Johnny yeah. Walker now. No, I'm excited for imported Johnny Walker straight from Canada. Is that going to be your next video? 
Yeah, if he gets a knockout, that'd be great. <laughs> and on that cheery note, that's a great place to end the show. Clay, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I have to tell you as well, obviously you're from Canada where we've been getting quite a bit of heavy snow recently. Oh, really? Let me look out my window real quick. I'll tell you if there's any. Oh, yeah. There's lots of snow. <laughs> One of the great connections, another sign for the great Anglo-Canadian relations on this show. Thank you very much for joining us for INC Radio. Please stay tuned to next week's show. We'll be, we'll be discussing uh, Fight Night Auckland as well as post-mortem on everything that's been happening over in the New Mexico card. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That has been Clay, a.k.a. Uncle Joey. And we hope to hear from you soon. Stay tuned to the YouTube channel on INC Radio. Glad to be here. See ya.